0: During his interview, Trump refused to say whether he would accept the results of November's election if Joe Biden wins. In Oregon. Tensions continue to flare in Portland as outrage mounts over violent attacks by militarized federal officers on anti-racist protesters. The U.S. attorney for the Oregon District on Friday filed a lawsuit and called for an investigation into unidentified federal officers who've been snatching protesters off the streets into unmarked vans and detaining them. A reporter with our media partner, the Portland Tribune, caught this vet getting beaten by batons on cell phone video.
1: And I started asking him if they thought it was okay to violate their oath of Constitution. Chris says one of the men shoved him backwards. Right. Lose balance and fall backwards a little bit and then plant myself that's right when they start beating me they kept hitting me with batons and i think they decided that wasn't going to work so they just two pepper spray hits i think i took and that into that that was that was not fun well the president has a complete misunderstanding of cause and effect what's happening here is we have dozens if not hundreds of federal troops descending upon our city And what they're doing is they are sharply escalating the situation. Their presence here is actually leading to more violence and more vandalism. And it's not helping the situation at all. They're not wanted here. We haven't
2: asked them here. So this has been going on for several weeks now. It's not clear um, how many there are. And I think that is uh, a lot of the origins of the concern over this is there's a lack of transparency about it. Um, And it's unclear exactly what authority they're using for it. We know that um, President Trump after his uh, executive order about protecting monuments uh, from, you know, vandalism, the Department of Homeland Security, which contains within it Border Patrol, um, uh, convened a task force called Protecting American Communities uh, Task Force. So under PACT, um, it looks like they're uh, sending these federal agents around to assist with things. But we don't know where. We don't know for how long. uh, We don't know how many. And in fact, according to the document that was leaked to me from uh, within Uh, Department of Homeland Security, they're instructed to answer questions about the timeline with, um, you know, this will be indefinite, we don't know how long, and also, we don't know how many people there will be, so it's really profoundly unclear what's going on.
0: This is the Failed State Update, and I am Joseph L. Flatley, It is Monday, July 20th, 2020, and the world is trying to figure out what the hell exactly is going on in Portland, Oregon. Um, As far as anybody can tell, federal law enforcement have been in the city conducting some real shady operations since July 4th, or roughly July 4th this year. And uh, to get to the bottom of it, I... Have a couple guests First up we have Garrison Davis A freelance journalist A media activist in Portland Who's been on the ground uh, Filming and Snapping pictures of the protests Since they kicked off After that we'll speak to Juniper L. Simonis Hope I'm pronouncing that right Simonis Juniper Simonis uh, An activist in Portland, who was disappeared into the bowels of a federal building for four or five hours uh, before finally being released. And then last but not least, we'll talk to Christian Williams, the author of Our Enemies in Blue, um, activist and author who knows all kinds of stuff about policing in this country and counterinsurgency, which is essentially bringing home military methods from overseas to target people. Uh, political operatives, and it's very scary stuff, and I definitely think we're seeing the first wave of of this. In fact, as I I record this, a uh, ping came up from the Chicago Tribune onto my phone. The headline, Homeland Security making plans to deploy some 150 agents in Chicago this week. The scope of duty unknown. So... Homeland Security investigation agents Are uh, set to assist other federal law enforcement And Chicago police in crime-fighting efforts According to sources familiar with the matter Though a specific plan on what the agents will be doing Has not been made public And uh, nobody really seems to know Exactly why they're coming But in light of what's going on in Portland And especially when you hear these interviews When you hear the interview with Juniper, who was snatched up and who has a lot of really good points about the possible implications of this, this is definitely something we are going to want to keep our eyes on. But first, let's talk to Garrison Davis.
3: one thing that's a little bit different with Portland is that we've had the most sustained militant protests. Um, there's some other cities still doing, um, you know, uh, like a protest every once in a while and marches and stuff, but Portland, have, Portland has had constant battling with the police um, since, since May. We've like, it's, 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 it's just been constant. There's, there has been no really break from that because, because Portland has such uh you know, such an active, protesting community. You know, it, it's, it's like a it's a, it's a it's a big part of Portland. It's, you know, they, there's always big protests here. And, uh, and they have not disappointed in the past month and a half. It is, they've been very consistent in protesting. You know, we're on like day 53 right now. And at least three quarters of those days ended in massive displays of police brutality against protesters. Uh, the, the, the vast majority of of
0: of that, nice. yeah and, and if maybe you could just kind of describe how that happens you know I'm thinking of like your kind of typical mainstream news viewer or consumer who's going to think if they're getting cracked down on it's something that the protesters did but I think you're seeing the exact opposite of that maybe you can kind of describe how it's been going down
3: Yeah. So Interestingly, in Oregon, um, occupying the street is a legal and protected form of protest. Um, This was was decided by the Oregon Supreme Court. Um, I don't think the police are aware of this because usually when people occupy the street, they get they get very upset. You know, Um, police tactics have definitely changed a lot. Like um, the first the first few weeks, they would just start beating people up with sticks. Using tear gas, using flashbangs, just as people were standing in the street, that was that was something they just decided to do. With people in the street, we're going to beat them up. Um, then the protest kind of moved on to a different a different situation where the police put up a giant chain link fence over their main precinct, and then that turned into just a big battle over the fence. People, protesters, trying to like knock down the fence, or even just the the first like five days. Just if you touched the fence, they would start tear gassing the area. On the first Tuesday of June was a horrible night. Excuse um, me. The first Tuesday of June was a horrible night when people br- barely touched the fence. So they weren't even trying to knock it over. They weren't trying to climb it. They just got a little bit too close, and Portland police ended up tear gassing blocks of the streets, just like so many blocks, so much regular traffic got tear-gassed. We saw a car almost run into people, not because it was trying to hit people, because they'd been tear-gassed and they couldn't see anything. It was, it, it was one of the worst nights I've ever been out in Portland. Um, so, you know, the fence thing, it's like, and then the, when the fence got taken away, it's just people standing in front of the Justice Center. And then they decided, well, they're standing in this park. What if we try closing the park? So they're like, okay, it's midnight. Parks are closed. If you don't leave, we're gonna tear gas you. So then they then they, then they tear gas you. So we've seen just they they constantly change what their excuses to use tear gas and you know whatever um it's it's there's, there's really no consistency. Um, they're really not following a specific pattern the whole time. Like four weeks ago, people marched to the police union building. They just stood outside the building, Portland police didn't like that they were standing outside their building, and they tear gas blocks in residential air, of residential neighborhoods right that's just that's just
0: what happens and I think one of the reasons that you know one of the justifications for sending in the feds was that um you know police reform uh, measures were getting enacted and were kind of holding the portland police back a little bit yeah so a few weeks ago
3: um around like mid-june and then continuing on to now um portland police lost a lot of their choice um after you know after you tear gassed a whole bunch of regular traffic for literally no reason um city hall's gonna get some angry calls and they absolutely did um portland police got their tear gas restricted heavily um they're supposed to quote unquote only use it in like life threatening scenarios. Um, now sometimes they exaggerate of course, but overall they've been more resistant to use tear gas as wildly as they did the first kind of, the first kind of month. Um, and we've also seen them, um, Portland police have been very brutal against journalists the first month and a half. I mean, they still are, but they are now also restricted in what they can do to journalists. Um, there is a uh, there's a temporary restraining order all the way until October now got extended. That por- journalists are exempt to any like um, like evacuation or closure orders. So like when police decide to close the area off because it's a riot or because it's an unlawful assembly, journalists are not privy to this. They are allowed to stay and they should not be beat up or arrested for staying. Um, you know this now. This isn't perfect. There was a there was a, there was a journalist arrested a few days ago. Um, in in East portland and i 'm sure that 's going to get added on to a lawsuit or something um, but overall Portland police have been better about treating their journalists, but I mean still far from ideal I mean I was told to you know exit a certain street or be arrested two nights ago, which is you know which is now currently illegal but you know i was I was still told to do that, and I did, but they didn 't like tackle me and arrest me so you know it's, it's still it 's still definitely not perfect, but people are trying to kind of restrict the, police, the police's ability to, you know, squash the First Amendment. Um, and, you know, it's, it's 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 a work in progress. It's better than nothing. But it's, 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 it's definitely not perfect.
0: Sure. And um, who are you, are the, who are some of the outlets that are carrying your work? Are you finding that, are you actually submitting work to outlets, or are they picking your stuff up on social media and using it? How's your work getting out there?
3: Um, They've done a good job of contacting I mean, my, my Twitter presence has grown enough that both, most people, you know, are kind of aware of me in, like, the news circle. Um, initially, I was selling a lot to, like, the local stations here, the local, like, CBS and the local NBC. Right now, the um, National NBC has reached out to me most often um, for videos. They've, the, the past week, specifically, they have really used a lot, a lot of my footage. Um they've we're we're in constant contact uh between myself and a lot of the folks from NBC. I I, I was interviewed on Chuck Todd's show two days ago. Um uh yeah, so uh, NBC mainly. Um a few other ones, but you know, I've I've been I've been mainly mainly working with them.
0: And um do you think a lot of that is simply because like Journalists working for these uh, organizations like NBC just aren't able or aren't willing to kind of get into the scrum and put themselves at risk?
3: You have not really seen a lot of big stations send reporters down after after the CNN guy got punched in Minneapolis. It's been, you know, it, as long as there's people like me down there filming, these big, these big news organizations are not as likely to be sending their people down because they can just pay me afterwards and then then they can get their footage uh but ever since the event showed up people seem to be a little bit more interested in portland so it it is good that stuff's getting out there now i mean like today um today i I just i just got just sent some footage over to nbc of what happened last night um by the uh by the union building and that was all portland police so i'm very happy that they're using that footage that's not related to the fence at all um, so I'm, I'm super. I'm super thrilled that they're actually focusing on the Portland places as, as, as well, not just the federal occupation.
0: Yeah, and um, what happened? I was I was looking at your uh, thread from last night. Um, what was the kind of major action last night?
3: So I'm seeing a lot of misconceptions about last night. Um, last night was a very well-planned, well-coordinated action. I mean, if, if, if you're going to look at it objectively. No matter if you think it was good that they did this or this, it was well-coordinated, and it was very intentional. Um, they started off in a park in Northeast Portland. They started marching towards the Union Building. They made a very surprised turn a few blocks away from the Union Building and marched all the way to the North Precinct. This caught the Portland police strongly off guard. By the time they got to the North Precinct, there were like five cops waiting outside and about a 1,000 protesters. Um, the cops had to immediately enter their building. In doing so, they did not, did not have time to close their vehicle depot. So there were about fifty police cars completely, op- completely like open in this parking lot. Um, protesters could have decided to do something with those cars. They they didn't. But I think it 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 is notable just showing how off guard the police got. Um, the crowd outsmarted them last night in. Multiple times. This is only the first time they. This is only the first time the crowd up smart Got them, because they caught them off guard, and they left a giant swath of cars um, completely open to any anyone's wills. Um, so after a while, at probably about like an hour at North Precinct, um, the the a police announcement vehicle it's, it's called it's called the LRAD. It's you know it's a long range acoustic, long range acoustic device. Um, announced that you're not allowed to stand in front of this building go basically go away we don't want you <laughs> we don't want you here and the crowd the crowd actually moved I've, I've, I've never seen that happen before i've never seen the crowd seemingly obey the lrad's demands, except they very quickly marched all the way back to the to the police union building again catching police off guard and um at a certain point um the door to the police union building uh was broken down. And from what I can tell, it looks like a little fire was started inside. Uh, I didn't get super close to, to that at the moment because there were some dumpster fires. There was some other stuff going on. But uh, the, 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 the door was busted down. It was glowing inside the door. Uh, another good journalist, Tuck Woodstock, got some footage of, uh, of the fire inside. Um, as, soon as, as soon as the fire in the building happened, that's when uh, some riot police showed up. Um, they, they, they threw a little bit of tear gas in the crowd. They charged the crowd multiple times. Uh, arresting anyone they can. Again, they weren't trying to find people who started any fires or did, or did anything illegal. They were just arresting anyone that couldn't run away fast enough from them. So they were just tackling, tackling anyone who was maybe a, a little bit slower than than the rest. I, at one point, I saw the police arrest someone uh, on the sidewalk, not like not during a charge, but just for yelling at the police. And then I saw I I, I saw these three officers kind of look at each other. They're like, Are we are we are we going to get him? And they nodded, and then they walked up to this person and arrested them, and took them away. Um, so they they really did not care about the about like who actually started the fire or anything i um, mean the the fire was relatively small like there's there's really no there's really no significant damage, but it doesn't it doesn't matter to them anyway; They're just arresting anyone they can um and then eventually the, the crowd just thoroughly dispersed into residential streets. The good thing for protesters about the action at the union building that's surrounded by these residential streets with all these side alleys. But it's very easy to just disappear immediately. Um which is which is what they did. They 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 there was a fire, they got rushed by the police, then they disappeared into this into the residential streets. And that was and that was the action. Um now I'm seeing stuff on Twitter people talking about how the police actually put their own building on fire and did all this to to like make protesters look bad. And I'm like well, I mean, I was there with a few other journalists. That does not match with what we said. But if the police wants to keep lighting their own buildings on fire, I'm interested to see where that will go. I'm not just as a journalist. I'm interested to see how that will turn out. The police to start lighting their own buildings on fire. I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, that's 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 what happened last night.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's amazing. Like where people's mind goes. I mean. Obviously police forces are more than or, you know police are more than capable of underhanded tactics of all sorts but I can't imagine them needing to set you know to start a fire in their own building when there are plenty of people that would do it for them anyways Yeah
3: I mean, when I arrived the door was boarded up eventually the boards were taken off that door eventually that door was broken down and then it was dark inside the door and then there was glowing behind the door. I, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I, I know, I know what happens there.
0: It sounds like, as far as the Portland police is going, and the law enforcement that's regularly or mostly interacting with the protests, it's you know, it's business as usual. It doesn't sound like a you know, this force came in and has like taken over the law enforcement response. It sounds like. You're, you and the Portland Police Department are still doing what you've been doing for 50 it, last, days.
3: Oh, I, will say, I will say, last week, it was just the feds. It was like the feds took over last week. That is that is absolutely what happened. Um, ever, ever since last Saturday, leading up to, I guess, yesterday, um, so yeah, so last Saturday all the way to Friday, the, the the feds were the only ones responding. They were the ones that really took over. Um so like that was like, and that's why Portland got pushed into the national spotlight. It's because that's it's because that's what's happening. People learned that that's what's happening, and now now I think it's good. It's good that we're looking back on Portland police. But if you're talking about like a, a federal takeover, that 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 absolutely happened. Um, now we're we're seeing, we're seeing Portland police show up a little bit more now, uh, but yeah, that that was that was definitely a
0: thing. Yeah, and um, and and what does that look like? My understanding is that they were you know the justification was that they were in town to um protect federal government buildings and um and it seems like they were you know in federal government buildings and kind of expanding the perimeter beyond that a little bit at a time like is that what yep yep um yeah so they first
3: they first kind of showed up um, around early July, just a few of them. They were kind of assisting the Portland police in a few things. We saw them on July 4th, definitely uh, assisting with the Portland police. But again, the, the, the big night that they really showed a giant use of force was, um, uh, let July 11th. It was a Saturday. So last Saturday, well, I guess, depending, depending when this comes out, it may be a few Saturdays ago. But yeah. Um, July 11th. That was, those really, those were really the first they did something. Um, people were people were standing in a park across the street from the federal courthouse, um, and the feds didn't like that, and they tear gassed the park. Um, they tear gassed the streets. They pushed everyone away. Uh, people went back into the park. This is when they shot the young man in the head with an impact round. Um, you know, there's a lot of footage. Um, my footage has definitely made made the rounds of the incident of, you know, blood pouring onto the sidewalks person unconscious being carried away. He's since had to go under, um, he, his skull was severely fractured. He has, he's needed to get a skull plate put in he says he had to go under facial reconstruction surgery. He's doing okay, but it was a brutal injury that's going to affect him for the rest of his life. Um, and his crime was, he was standing across the street on the sidewalk, not, not on federal property, holding, uh, holding a boom box, um, a small canister, of uh, of, uh, of some type of gas. I I don't think it deployed correctly, but a small canister was shot kind of towards him, kind of landed under the, under the car. He gently tossed it like a few feet away from him so it wouldn't like do anything to the car in case it like lit up. Then he stood there another 10 seconds and was, and was shot in the head. Um, after that, we went through about three different, separate, three, three separate tear gas incidents in the same area. Again, people just standing on the street or the sidewalk across from the street. Just repeatedly getting tear gas, um, repeatedly getting shot at. I mean, I, I was I was hit with a canister of tear gas that night for uh, for, for filming. Um, there, I was really the only one in, in the area. They shot a tear gas canister right at me. Thankfully, hit me in my back, and uh, I, I had I, I had a I had a good jacket on, so it, it, it didn't really hurt me. But it landed it landed on my bag, and it caught on my bag, and I was and uh, according to another journalist, who was right there behind me, helping me. Um, it started to light my bag on fire because these canisters are super hot. They're incendiary. Uh, they quickly pulled my bag off me and got and got the canister like out, like away out out of my bag. It, it got like trapped on something. It was it, it was it, the, the level was very was very brutal. Um,
0: and would you say that there was a like even before you knew perhaps that they were feds? Have you had you noticed like a? An uptick in brutality or a change in tactics.
3: I mean, it was it was very clear that, that they were fed. Like at, at, at this point, we were we were aware of the situation. We saw we saw DHS uniforms. We saw the we saw the Bortac patches. right after you know Trump signs the whole thing of like protecting monuments. Um, yeah, we and, and, and they were first stationed at the federal courthouse. I mean, they 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 definitely since expanded and showed up in places that are not the federal courthouse. Uh, But, yeah, it was very clear with the feds that night. Um, Interestingly, by the end of that night, the Portland police stayed away for the vast majority. Um, But around, like, 2 a.m., after, like, four tear gas incidents and tons of shooting, Portland police decided to, like, formally close the area off. And then they marched with the feds pushing everyone westward. There's some fantastic footage of just, like, 100 officers of... Portland police and federal combined just marching through the streets. And, you know, that's that that's that's what a police state looks like. Um, Just a hundred of officers armed with, um, you know, high caliber rifles, armed with riot control rifles, armed with tear gas, armed with stun grenades, just marching through the streets, pushing a crowd of protesters. And this crowd this particular night, I mean, like, I, I, I think the term peaceful protester isn't a very useful term. But if anything would describe a peaceful protester, it was what was happening that night. People were not messing with the courts. People were not messing with the feds that night. They they were very calm. They were they were very uh, they were not very like militant in their in their actions like towards the police or towards the feds. I mean, they were militant in like moving away, and they were doing, doing a good job like like holding the park down. But they were not doing anything illegal. Um, and that was still one of the most, that was probably still the most brutal night that I've seen. Um, and, you know, eventually police pushed them away um, far enough that, you know, then police pulled back. That's, that's when I called it a night because I had, I, I I already had a lot of footage. Um, it, was, it, was, it was already pretty late. But yeah, that was one of the most brutal things I've seen with the combination of, you know, the feds doing all of the work and then Portland police finally pushing people away at the end of the night.
0: Yeah, so that was Garrison Davis. Uh, You can see all his work on Twitter, at Hungry Bowtie. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, At Hungry, like I'm hungry, and Bowtie, like what Tucker Carlson used to wear. And next up, we're going to talk to uh, Juniper Simonis about the experience of being... Disappeared into the federal building, a federal office building for a few hours, and their treatment at the hands of law enforcement. So here is Juniper Simonis.
2: So um, I am a visibly trans and also invisibly disabled person. I have severe PTSD and associated symptoms, like clinically, you know, sort of been diagnosed and all of that. And I have a service dog, Wallace, um, who goes with me everywhere. Like, and really, if not for Wallace, I would be dead right now. And like, he basically keeps me alive in a lot of situations that are like very unsafe for me mental health wise. Um that means however that we can't go to the front lines really right and so we um try as much as possible to help from a distance um and recently starting in july i had figured out enough about how to keep wallace safe in case we all of a sudden found ourselves in tear gas which we did um you know like i basically had was tethered to my car had a bunch of like backup things of ways to like get him out of the gas cloud if it showed up all of a sudden like i had this like once I had finally kind of squared that plan out, I was okay with us going downtown, but still saying, like, pretty much away from the front lines, especially when there was any risk, right? Um, on July 7th, there was a candlelight vigil for Summer Taylor, um, who was the person who was killed up in Seattle like the weekend of the 4th, the car attack. Um, and as a fellow non-binary and white person in this movement. Like I wanted to pay my respects and I also wanted to like be with my community, right? Like this is a person who I never met in my entire life, but feel very connected to because I feel like it's someone who was doing work similar to what I would, what I try to do as much as possible. Um, During an hour when the park is open, the park closes at midnight. It's also a city park. Um, They come all of a sudden show up outside of this building storm through the park we later figure out that they were trying to snatch somebody thankfully that person didn't get snatched as best we understand um but in or on their retreat back to the building on their way out and then on their way re- retreat back they threw flashbangs and on their retreat back to the building we and other people had walked. We're still in the park, but had sort of walked over as part of the group of people, like admonishing these like people who just came out of nowhere and were throwing mortars in, into a like a peaceful vigil. We were yelling at them and yelling them sort of away. And the, they wanted to cut across the park to go back to the building, and they threw a flashbang at me and my service dog, in particular, at my service dog. You can see it in the video. We like he jumps out of the way. And, like, he gets so frightened, right? And, like, I, I get him, and, like, we go lay down and sit down and cry for a little bit. And, like, process some trauma in the immediate moment. We realize we're both okay. And then I'm like, holy shit. Angry mob mode. Angry disabled person mode combined, right? Like, you just nearly killed my son, and you just nearly killed my life support. Like, who the fuck are you, and what did you just do? Right. Like that's instantly where I went to. Right. Um, These stormtroopers retreated back into this building, which is the federal building. So it's not the courthouse and it's not the Justice Center. And so um, I, starting that night and then again during the the next day, spent probably like 12 hours or so trying to figure out who those people were that came out of that building. They were camo-clad, but they didn't announce themselves. They didn't have any like identifying markers or anything like that. And they went back into the building. I tried to get somebody to come out to talk to me. I tried to talk to, uh, to find Portland police officers and Multnomah County Sheriff officers. They both told me that if anybody came out of that building, that it was the feds and it was DHS. And so at that point, I did what I think anybody else like a a reasonable next step would be, which is figure out how close I can get to the building that they came out of and not be on their property so that I can yell at them as much as possible legally from city property, right? Like that's what I want to do. I want to know where I can stand so that I can yell at these jabronis for coming into the city, terrorizing us and wasting taxpayer dollars when there are people dying of a pandemic, right? Like, Supposedly we don't have enough money to handle this pandemic and yet we have enough money to put these troops to come into our city and like come terrorize a like a candlelight vigil. And so I went to the Multnomah County Surveyor's website, got the plat maps and all the information, got it printed out, went downtown with Surveyor's chalk. It's chalk, right? Its mark is not permanent and it has this little nozzle. So when you're walking along, you can just squirt it out as opposed to having to like write on the ground with chalk, right? Um, And so that's what I used. It's like the professional materials that you would use when you're doing this kind of thing. I had like a a walking tape measure so that it would be really easy to do like surveying, right? So like I was down there on Thursday in the evening around 7.30 or 8 o'clock drawing that line, drawing that box around the building. I was at the back corner of the building, um, so kitty corner of the building from uh, where I was actually snatched the next day when they did their first snatch attempt on me. Um, So this was Thursday evening. I was on city property, um, broad daylight. They came up and without saying anything, we're all of a sudden right there. And I told them, and it's on video, like, you're not allowed to do this to me. I'm on city property, I have a disability, stay away from my stuff, all of these things, right? But they didn't snatch me and I still don't know quite why. But they it seems like from the video, they were ordered back inside from the one DHS FPS officer who was with the battalion.
0: So you got snatched, right? Mm-hmm. The next day? Yeah, so well, it was Friday. So talk uh, me through that.
2: Yeah, so get down uh, to the park on Friday, and I send my friend this really great signal message that's like, Hey, can you just check in on me later? I think the feds are out for me. Lols, and I actually ended the message in LOLZ, and then I got snatched like less than an hour later. Um, like, in any case, I I was aware that you know they had tried to do it to me the day before, but I was back at the Wyatt building. Um, they had washed um, the chalk off at the front, which is where I wanted to stand to yell at them. So I um, before I went to go chalk the um, the plaza, before I could do that, I wanted to like just redo at the front of the building that line that I knew I could stand on the other side of and the little bit of text that I had written about um, what the line meant, which just said, just so we're all on the same page, this is not federal land, right? Like your federal property or whatever it was, right? So like that's what I wrote and I wrote that on the city side, obviously. And so like I'm out there doing this, I've like just about finished up, I'm looking down Um, Wallace is tethered over here on my left. We're both on city property. um, And all of a sudden, I feel a hand on my elbow. Right? Like, out of nowhere. Like, I am not, like, looking up and looking over or whatever. Nobody said anything. Nobody said, stop what you're doing. Nobody said, hey, you. Nobody said, get off of our property. Nobody said, is that graffiti? Nobody said, is that spray paint? Nobody said, what are you doing? They just snatched, as we have all seen in videos. Um, and what that did, um, as you can see in the video of them snatching me, is trigger the flight response. I divert all of my energy as intentionally as possible into flight. And so that's why you see me, like, jump away and grab Wallace and try to run out of there and run away from these guys. But I can't, I can't react fast enough because they've already gotten up around me and three or four of them jump on me and the other 10 or whatever, like I kind of start to block off the area, block the view of anybody who's on the other side of them from seeing what's happening. And so they came up and they like literally did the snatch thing, but instead of the like freeze response that like the, the, the other video where the guy got pulled into the van, that's the freeze response, right? Where you're just like, ah, and they take you, right? Um, I had the flight response um, and they still took me but they took me with considerable amount of force. Um, wholly disproportionate force. Um, so they shoved me to the ground, um, onto the sidewalk. My uh, my knees suffered significantly deep bone bruising um, and abrasions. Thankfully nothing got broken. Um, my um my head is all cut up my wrists are jammed horribly just from this alone like them shoving me into the ground they squeeze me and Wallace so hard that Wallace poops and they shove me into the poop on the ground they wrench him away from me um they uh like get a whole bunch of people on top of me and are like shoving me into the ground um they're trying to put me into handcuffs, but they're not doing a good enough job. And my when my arms come forward at one point, the handcuffs come with me, because your, your arms just like do like they don't want to stay back, and so they, your arms come forward, and um, the handcuffs came undone in my hand, um, and I had a pair of brass knuckles basically, right? Like, and rather than use them, I like skidded them into the street out of my hand, so I didn't hurt anybody. What they were doing to me, like, was a lot of like physical, sh- like four or five of them just like dog me and shoving me into into a sidewalk very forcefully. Um, and when they didn't like that, I hadn't let go of Wallace. As soon as they got Wallace out of my hands, they deployed a um, you can call it pepper spray or bear mace, but it's even way more concentrated and intense than bear mace. Um, the stuff that they carry on them, it's O.C. you know, spray, but it's super concentrated, right? Um, and generally speaking, those are supposed to be deployed at 8 to 10 feet away. Uh, uh, a lot of them are because they come out with such a pressure that, like, one, they're not necessarily effective against a group of people or a full person if you shoot them too close, but then also because you can hurt somebody if you shoot them too close. And I don't know if you can see it right now, but this whole yellow eye, that's from them shooting uh, that canister, not like hitting me with a tear gas canister, but shooting the tear gas at me from point blank range. So um, they used physical force and then a chemical weapon to subdue me. Um, and at that point, they I don't know how much they unloaded into me, but it was a significant amount I could not see got into both of my eyes. I was already having trouble breathing cuz it got into my nose and my mouth. It got into my right ear so my balance was like shot and my hearing was hard. And then it got into my hair cuz they knocked my head off and I just had hair and it was like all loose and so it got in my hair and it was like all over me,
0: right? Just to be clear for anybody who's listening, um all you did on that day was use chalk on city property. Adjacent to the federal building that's what prompted this whole response
2: yeah so um, at this point they um, they bring me into the federal building that the Wyatt building and there's like a there's sort of a long dragged out period where they like don't offer me medical treatment that's actually like like proper medical treatment um, they like try to get me to do things that they could construe as assaulting them they're like continuing to ignore my pleas for uh, proper medical attention and for lawyers and all of this, they don't actually Mirandize me or tell me what I'm being charged with until an hour later when I'm down in the basement of the Wyatt building.
0: Okay. And is the Wyatt building been transformed into a jail or is it just, just your standard office building? Like what's it?
2: It's just your standard office building. Um, And so my understanding is, and what I've gathered from my interactions with them, and the fact that you can actually see into a lot of the building because it's glass walls. They took me into the basement. That's where they provided, they finally brought the medics who they limited to inadequate and life-threatening medical care as opposed to life-supporting medical care. But what they did then is get me into a DHS, Federal Protective Services, white SUV and drive me two doors over. To the marshals' jail in the federal courthouse, and so when we were in the marshals' jail in the federal courthouse, that is the spot where DHS FPS is holding people, right? So they're they're working hand in glove with the marshals, which I have come to learn through stuff that I've read that's been published for a while. What they're doing at the border, they work hand in glove with the marshals because DHS doesn't run prisons, but the marshals do. They run prisons, jails, right? And so. The marshals were running the detainment, but DHS, FPS was running the questioning, the inter- like their interrogation-y things, right? Like, so they took my, you know, uh, they put me into this jail, um, like one, I was in one cell of a three cell block. Nobody else was in there at that time. Later on, the two guys that were charged last Monday morning, um, the one with the hammer and the one with the laser, um, They ended up being brought into the adjacent cells, but for a very long time, for maybe like four plus hours, I was in there by myself. Um, But uh, they, and that was all marshals who were doing, like they had me in custody. They were the ones putting handcuffs on me. They were the men patting me down. They were the ones who only provided me um, uh, sink water that wasn't enough pressure or clearly labeled as potable um, no food or water, no medication, whatever. They were the ones who were doing the actual detainment aspect. But FPS, uh, like detectives or whatever they're actually called agents, um, came in and started trying to question me. Um, and again, you know, invoking my rights to a lawyer. And then they were the ones who told me that the the goal was to get me into county jail. So that they could charge me on Monday, like they did with the other two guys that they ended up bringing in there, with assaulting an officer. Um, this is now, they have dropped at this point, graffitiing or spray painting the um, federal property. So initially when they like Mirandized me and told me I was being arrested for uh, for stuff, they told me I was arrested for spray painting federal property. By the time I was in the jail, they had dropped the federal the spray painting charge because they had heard me talk about it being chalk and heard me talk about it, I guess, or whatever. They had actually looked at the bottles they, took, they stole from me. Um, uh, but they were now going to be charging me with uh, assaulting an officer, which is just absurd. And so they wanted to get me into county jail so that they could do that like in court on Monday morning. However, county jail wasn't accessible for service dogs, and so they were trying to get me to give them contact information for someone to come get wallace and take him off site and i was like one you're no that's not my problem like if the if the county jail isn't accessible they need to make it accessible and you need to handle that i'm not going to get on the, the phone with them and so um effectively i was able to let me talk to your manager those two guys um they left, and you know, some time later. Time is weird. Um, their manager came in, um, and he repeated the same line. He also said, "Have you have you asked for a lawyer? Because if you've asked for a lawyer, we shouldn't be talking." And I was like, "Yes, I have asked for a lawyer." And then he continued to keep talking with me, um, and. I've basically put two and two together that, yeah, like, he's their boss. He's still, like, a detective, but maybe he's, like, the de- the detective who's a lieutenant or whatever, right? He's got some supervisor capacity. And so it's at this point that that supervisor says, if you don't give us the n- the number for somebody, we're going to put him in a shelter, and he won't be there when you get out. And to me, that is, we are going to euthanize your service dog. Um, finally hours later after they had brought in the other two guys who were like detained that night and ended up being charged on Monday you know sometime probably around 3:30 in the morning or so cuz i ended up getting released at like 4:30 uh, but around 3:30 they came in and they were like we're cutting you a break or we're cutting you a deal and i was like okay um i didn't realize i needed to be cut a deal for getting kidnapped but um They were like, because we can't get you into county, we're going to release you tonight. And instead of giving you, because we can't get you into court, we're not going to give you misdemeanor or felony charges. Instead, we're going to give you violation notices. So they don't charge me at all with anything associated with graffitiing or anything like that. Um, they They only lay charges on me that are associated with their frankly, kidnapping of me and my response to them kidnapping me. Um, and I think the thing that I want to highlight even more is the fact that, yes, I'm marginalized and the fact that I'm visibly trans and queer and invisibly disabled, but I'm also white. And I'm, like, very white. And I'm also a citizen, right? Um, and the the things that they are doing, this combined DHS-US Marshals hand-in-glove operation is actually what they have been doing at the southern border um, for a long time. And um, it's really scary because what they do, again, is they snatch people and then they ask questions later. They don't care about your constitutional or other legal rights because they're used to be dealing with people who don't have them. Um, they're used to dealing with somebody who has the like the whole thing about like just crossing the border somehow being an illegal act, which is, so horrible, gives them all of the pretext they need to sweep up anybody and do whatever they want with them.
0: Uh, thank you for that, Juniper Simonis, and uh, they can be reached on Twitter at Juniper L. Simonis, and of course, all the links to all that stuff will be in the show notes. Coming up next is uh, Christian Williams. Do I have a bio for Christian Williams? Let's see, Christian Williams is a member for the of the Committee Against Police Repression in Portland. He's also the author of *Our Enemies in Blue: Police and Power in America*. But the book of his I like the most is probably *Life During Wartime: Resisting Counterinsurgency*. He's an editor on that and a contributor. And and what I've learned from talking to Christian in the past and reading his books is that nobody's really upfront about what the police do or where they come from, you know. Hence the mythical officer friendly and that's why everybody seems to have their mind blown every time police violence happens or at least that was the case <laughs> a few years ago I, I i should say that nobody is in the dark now as to what the police's role is of
1: I guess we could start, um, tactically because that is what has made headlines outside of Portland, um, which is that, uh, the federal government has deployed, uh, law enforcement officers from border patrol, um, the federal protective service and the U S marshals, um, seems to have deputized them all as marshals. And then, um, sent them forth nominally with the um, mission of protecting federal facilities. But the truth is that they are now doing most of the heavy lifting in terms of trying to break up the protests. Um, They immediately began engaging in tactics that the Portland police have been legally prohibited from engaging in, such as preemptively using tear gas and um, uh, firing um, less lethal uh, munitions at um, people who are resisting nonviolently. Of course, the Portland Police never really stopped doing those things, but they started doing them a lot less um, once the the courts made it clear that they were taking a dim view of it. Um, so it's a much more aggressive stance. Um, and then the other thing that's that's made headlines recently is that uh, they've been driving around in unmarked, vans and nabbing people off the street who they think are protesters um, seemingly taking them questioning them and then releasing them without charges so uh, that is you know, people are rightfully creeped out by that although really it's the the unmarked van part of that is really the the only thing that's new about that in terms of local protest policing I mean the the Portland Police for years have had a habit of patrolling the areas surrounding demonstrations and grabbing um, single people or, like, small groups of people as they are leaving the area.
0: I mean, that's that's pretty consistent na- nationwide. I mean, I've always heard if you're going to a protest, stay in a group, don't wander off by yourself for, for just that reason.
1: Yeah, and have, have an exit plan. Like, know, know how you're getting away. Don't just, like, sort of wander off at the end. I guess the other way in which it's not atypical is that um, yeah, the border patrol like creeping around in unmarked vans and nabbing people off the street, that's pretty much their job description. So they're, they're using the tactics they're familiar with.
0: Right. Cause they're, they're border patrol. So that's probably what they're doing on the border.
1: The the U S has an extremely elastic notion of what the border is. Um, it's it, like you hear border patrol and you imagine, that there's like an imaginary line on the ground, and some guy um, walking along it, telling people to stay on one side or the other. Um, but really, the the U.S. considers the border area anything within a hundred miles of a border or within a hundred miles of the coast. Um, so it's actually like a huge geographic area that they operate in. Um. And the, and more and more over the last 20 years, they've taken to having more enforcement activities um, pairing with local police departments inside the, in the interior of the country as well. Um, so, yeah, like rolling around a neighborhood in a um, creepy white panel van and then just like grabbing somebody off the street, that's pretty much just a Tuesday afternoon as far as they're concerned.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that seems to be like a lot of, like, I spoke to someone who was detained by, by them, uh, by the feds um, in Portland, maybe a week or two ago, I don't remember. And it was kind of like, what was so frightening was the idea that, like, okay, we've been sounding the alarm of how, you know, undocumented people and basically anybody... Living in border areas is being treated, and nobody paid attention, and now they're coming in inland, you know, and and treating everybody like that, and that's the ramifications of that are very frightening.
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's the cue to you know talk about how first they came for the immigrants, and then they came for the anarchists, like et cetera, et cetera.
0: Homeland security, and specifically, I think ICE and border patrol customs and border patrol have been kind of kind of Donald Trump's favorite branch of law enforcement it seems like
1: the racism there is a lot closer to the surface than in other parts of law enforcement so it it appeals to his um shall we say basest instincts so are there
0: ramifications um beyond you know how now now i just saw that federal law enforcement's being sent to chicago 150 agents and you know nobody is saying why that, that that's happening um and i don't know if it's like a continuation of this operation or
1: he's he's been threatening to send it to send them to chicago um for, like for a, a while like a couple years or something yeah um and when and he was pretty clear when they got sent to portland that this was like the first place but not the only place um Why Chicago? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's like if they're not going to take care of crime, we're going to step in. But, you know, it just feels like, and I think the fear is that there's some kind of like Steve Bannon type evil genius guy figuring out kind of like within the current laws and current, you know, infrastructure, legal infrastructure, like how to expand the role of police and shrink civil liberties, and this is kind of like the beginning of a frontal assault on that.
1: Um, okay, so this gets to the politically question, um, which is, what exactly is Trump's agenda? Which, it's hard to discern if he really has one, aside from self-aggrandation, right? Like, he definitely wants to be reelected in the fall, but it's not really clear why he wants to be reelected in the fall, given that like everything that he has done for four years has only really been bent, or, or like on his own initiative, has only been bent around staying in office and making sure that he gets elected in the fall. But, but he doesn't... But in terms of um, an actual political agenda, he is a weird kind of empty vessel, right? Like, there, there's... Um, so in terms of what the people around him are trying to do, which is maybe where the sort of Steve Bannon puppet master kind of questions come in, um, you know, we, we can't, I guess what I'm saying is we can't necessarily look at the decision makers, know what their motives are and then interpret the. Activity based on what their motives are. Instead, we need to look at what the activity is, and assume that the effect that it's having is probably part of a strategy. Right. Um, so one implication of this is that it seems like a much more aggressive federalization of, lo- of law enforcement than we've seen ever before. I mean, the um, or at least since. Maybe the Civil War. Um, because they're um, using federal law enforcement agencies in what are um, manifestly like local law enforcement duties over the objections of the local authorities and in places where the local um, the uh, the local politics have taken a shift away from um, further resources and further powers for law enforcement. So it's like the the, the political message I think is that um, that if cities start defunding the police and stop um, uh, taking the most draconian positions available in terms of uh, law enforcement, that the federal government will fill in that gap, whether we want it to or not, um, whether that is Anything like a sustainable approach is a whole other question.
0: Yeah, you have to wonder if what if there's simply enough of these agents to do that in every American major city or even like 10 American cities.
1: And so th- this leads us to the strategic question, which is that um, how should I put this I think we can we can only really understand that as um, a kind of uh, political semaphore it doesn't actually make sense operationally. Because what happened in Portland is that um, the local authorities had settled into a strategy of attrition that they were going to like you know they were going to keep a low profile, the police were going to keep a low profile at the beginning of events. They were going to um, displayed themselves at the point where it seemed like um, things were getting rowdy. They were periodically going to use tear gas and flashbangs and that sort of thing. Um, but on the whole, they were um, going to they weren't going to go for mass arrests. They weren't going to um, do anything that was going to sort of raise the overall temperature of the actions, right? And that given enough time, what would happen is people would get tired, people would have other commitments, people would get sick of, you know, getting tear gas once a night. Um, And the demonstrations would become smaller and less significant until it reached a point where they could just be broken up or they could just be like put under mass arrest or that sort of thing. Um, I suspect that what they were doing in the meantime was also collecting a lot of information and we're going to go through it later and make targeted arrests, um, and build and bring charges in weeks and months coming. Um, and that plan, like as far as it goes, seemed to have been working like the demonstrations were getting smaller. They were less on everyone's mind. They were less in the news. Um, they were having less effect. Um, And, you know, they were winnowing toward the most militant core, which, um, meant that it probably wasn't very long until they were going to be able to, like, arrest a crowd of, like, 300 people, identify them all, and then use that to build cases later. Um, so Trump's goon squad jumps in in the middle of this, um, immediately, um, shoots a guy holding a boombox in the face with a rubber bullet, um, starts using tear gas, um, which technically they're not, um, they're not bound by the court ruling that they can't just preemptively use tear gas, um, but, you know, the optics of that are very bad, because, like, uh, the court made that ruling for a reason, right? Um, and And, you know, started nabbing random people off the street in a way kind of designed to creep people out. Um, And all of that brought everybody who had been in the streets back out into the streets and also turned the um, local political establishment that had been very um, carefully walking this line of saying, you know, that they want, um, they want progress toward racial equality. They also don't want people tearing up the city, and they want to support the police in doing their job. But they also don't really want people, the police, to hurt people unnecessarily, right? They've been very carefully walking that line, and this pushed them just all the way in the direction of like these federal cops need to go, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so that's. Um, it has made the protests larger and more militant and also um, demoralized the local police and also turned the um, uh, public opinion and the elected leadership like completely in a direction of, um, of opposing the police action partly because now they can disclaim any responsibility for it, right? So they're completely ready to just, like, like they're not ready to throw their cops under the bus, but they're totally ready to throw somebody else's cops under the bus. Um, which, from a sort of technical counterinsurgency perspective, means that the deployment of... Um, of federal forces and the escalation of violence was absolutely the wrong thing to do. Right. It just like, and 20 minutes with any counterinsurgency um, document would have made that completely clear. Right that it was going to be delegitimizing, that it was going to mobilize people who had been demobilized, that it was going to be polarizing, and that the um, it was going to be polarizing against the direction of what people feel like are basically an occupying army. Um, like, all of that was predictable. Which leads us back to the political question of... And, and okay, so there's a naive view then that like Trump is an idiot and he doesn't know what he's doing. But I think actually he just isn't that concerned about outcomes. Like he doesn't care if this actually has the effect of, of, um, stopping the demonstrations or not. What he cares about is that this gives him an opportunity to pose as the tough guy who was willing to do the thing that nobody else is willing to do, and that appeals to his base, even if it has no real effect, um, or even if it is counterproductive to the thing that he is claiming that he is trying to do,
0: and and that really um, does seem to be kind of par for the course with him, like shooting from the hip for like these kind of like short sighted political
1: gains. Yes, um, but that doesn't mean that. This doesn't have real effect and um and beyond just like the period of immediate occupation it also like as i was saying i think that this will make it um well it could make it more available for um future presidents future attorney generals future um secretaries of the department of homeland security i'm not even sure like how much authority would need be needed here, but it will make it more available to, um, uh, use federal, uh, officers as kind of shock troops to, um, repress social movements, even over the objections of the local authorities. Um, I say it could, because if this turns out to be politically disastrous enough, um, then it may also be – it may become one of those things that um, future leaders will look at and be like, well, okay, we know technically we can do that, but that will almost certainly cost me in public support, lead to all these like other kinds of costs, and um, at the end of the day backfire, right? Like if it is – if it goes badly enough in this case, it may – practically take it off the table in the future, which means that it's actually really important that people respond to um, the incursion of the federal officers um, uh, as forcefully as they can manage.
0: Right, right. And um, have you any idea of the number of people that have been picked up and questioned in this way?
1: I've seen a handful of people talk to the press about it. So at least like at least more than once. Right. Um, It's clearly not in the like triple digits or um, I would have heard about it from somebody who has directly experienced it. Odds are. Right. Um, So but between those points, it's hard to tell.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know literally just, like, on the back of an envelope, I can think of, like, well, I talked to one person. They were in a cell with two other people. You know, it's like I saw two more in one article, two more on another video. So it's, like, you know, back of both hands, maybe, like, ten.
1: But surely there are people that it's happened to who are scared to say anything. Surely there's people who it happened to who are, like well that was weird and just didn't think anything more of it like
0: um and who knows maybe they swept up someone who was undocumented and shipped them off and you know right so it's really really scary stuff um what are you kind of seeing in portland or what's been your experience you know beyond just the the question of federal agents like you know over the last however many days it's been 50 or whatever. like, what, what's your kind of take on it all?
1: It's It's really remarkable, the longevity of the unrest. Um, I had expected that this was going to be um, really intense for a few days, and then we would see periodic demonstrations after that, um, because that's been the pattern here before, um, both with uh, protests against police, but also with things that have really um, like been huge, like the, um, the demonstrations against the uh, war in Iraq in 2003. Um, so the fact that it has been almost two months and every night and multiple events every night and a sustained level of militancy, um, such that, like, the local press just isn't even reporting that when people, like, set things on fire or, like, throw explosives at cops anymore like that's just not even news um, the so the, the duration of it is amazing and the normalization of like of yeah of course this is what's going to happen is also pretty interesting and this has been true of the unrest like basically around the country as well it's really remarkable how um, straightforwardly conflictual they are that the um, the demands to the degree that there are demands are mostly along the lines of uh, we 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 don't want cops and if we're going to have cops we want less cops right? we want fewer cops with less power um, lower budgets and like maybe fewer things on their to do list um, that it's not uh, the way this is. Typically, play down which is, you know, in sort of wonky demands about more oversight or the kind of training they're going to have or, you know, um, uh, what voltage their tasers are going to be or anything like that. It's like, and it's also not really taking the um, approach of. of the like appealing to the conscience of the authorities, it is like straightforward combat. And it was like, and the police are responding to it that way. And I think the police are understanding it as like an existential struggle of like, they have to, in some sense, win this conflict if they're going to continue as they have. Um, And that is unlike anything that I've seen, uh, at least during the time that I've been politically active. And the the closest that I can think of was the the, um, L.A. Rebellion in 92, after the police who who beat Rodney King were acquitted. Um, And that was over in, like, three days, right? It's so... um, yeah something has really come unstuck
0: yeah i yeah it's it's been pretty remarkable i mean just like the way that these first of all here in pittsburgh seeing an entirely new generation, you know it's like you know, finally, like, the people who were, like, protesting the first Gulf War have taken a back seat and let, you know, younger people and Black Lives Matter people, you know, uh, like a new generation take over. And then the the fact that, like, like you said, you know, like the the requests are just kind of like on a basic, you know, policing is broken and wrong and we want it completely changed or altered or done away with um it's remarkable to hear things set forth in that plain language and have people respond and even have like you know talking heads on the night news get it you know to some extent where you know they didn't get it at all before
1: right yeah like um we there were some indications of this uh after the Ferguson Rebellion, where, um, where publications like Rolling Stone had an article called um, Policing, It's a Dirty Job, But No One's Got to Do It. And um, Time Magazine had a piece about um, police abolition. But it was really treated as this sort of, like, theoretical curiosity. Like, sort of, like, I don't know, political dark matter or something um, and not as a real concern that affects how politics actually happen, right um, and somehow in this instance after George Floyd was killed and when Minneapolis exploded the, the rhetoric didn't have to rediscover that sort of abolitionist point, we just started there again, where it was like, oh where are we on that abolition thing Um, And it got and it received much uh, more sympathetic hearing and got much more um, traction than it ever has before. Um, Part of that, I think, is this feeling that like we just did this. Right. Like we just like cities all over the country um, had unrest a few years ago. Which introduced this whole wave of reforms and, you know, national soul searching and, you know, police departments promising to reinvent themselves and all of that, and yet here we are again. And I think that um, that feeling of last time we tried reform and that has not had the like not had the effect that we wanted. Um has helped legitimize the idea that something more than reform is what's needed.
0: It was a night, hell of a night, LA. It really
3: was a water ride.